It's a joy to be here this evening with you all. My two goals for the night are to not say this morning, which <laughs> I've done well so far at, and, um, and the second is not go long. God is real. He can do all things. Again, it's really nice to see you all uh, this, this evening. We know the story. We've seen the movies. We've seen the silhouettes of the nativity scenes. We've even read bumper stickers that say, Jesus is the reason for the... And that's right. Maybe you're here this evening because you were invited and you felt awkward saying no to the invitation. Maybe, some, some laughed at that, so. <laughs> Maybe you're, you're, you're here tonight because you think it's the right thing to do on Christmas Eve. Or maybe you're here tonight because this is your church family and you want to worship Christ with your family. No matter what the reason for you being here is, there are two things that are true. First, I welcome you here, and I am thankful that you're spending this evening with us all. So thank you for coming. The second is this, that every one of us has an opportunity tonight. It is a real opportunity. It's more important than any of us realize, and it's a gift. In fact, it's a free gift offered to you, not by your parents, not by a coworker. The opportunity that's gifted to you tonight is from your creator. It's from your God. It's from the savior of the whole world. The gift that I speak of caused angels to sing glory to God. It led men to leave their livelihood just to see it with their own eyes. It caused a new mother to heartfully ponder. It caused people to listen in wonder to shepherd stories. It is the very thing. In fact, it is the only thing that can bring peace on earth. It is what has brought us here together tonight. It is that familiar story. It is the birth of Jesus Christ. And the value of this birth is not how it happened, where it happened, who was there to witness it, nor is its value found in how popular of a story it is around the world today. The significant value of this Christmas story is in who was born that first Christmas. Who was born that first Christmas? You have to do something with that question. So church, I, I welcome you tonight. Oh, come, let us adore him this evening. Oh, come, let us adore him, Christ the Lord. If you have your Bibles with you, we're going to read that familiar story. It's in Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2. I will read this together. Um, when I finish reading, I'll say, this is the word of the Lord. If you please respond together with, thanks be to God. 
Luke 2, starting in verse 1. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them and the glory of the Lord shone around them and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, fear not. For behold, I bring you good news of great joy. That will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and laying in a manger. And suddenly there is with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in the manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at at what the shepherds had told them. And Mary treasured up all of these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they heard and seen as it had been told them. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father God, we wait for you. We wait for you, O Lord, as you complete your will on earth as it is in heaven. Lord, sweep us up in this miracle of our Savior's birth. A scene that we might think is common, but is more uncommon than we understand it to be. As the Word came to our world to save us. Allow your word to do its salvific work now. Give us hearts to comprehend and praise our humble King, Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. So tonight, as I don't go long, and you follow along with me, you'll hear three movements, each of them important stacking upon each other this miracle of a birth story, which really gives us that opportunity that I spoke of. The first is the scene of the birth. The second is the angelic response to that birth. And third is a human response to that birth. So first, the scene of the birth, a tale of two kings. Luke, the author of the gospel, very cleverly 
waits until Jesus' birth narrative in chapter 2 to give us the national circumstances of the day. We read in verse 1, it says, In those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. I think Luke could be drawing our attention to the juxtaposition between the current king of the land, Caesar Augustus, and the new king. Our first scene tells us everything we need to know about these kings. Who is this Caesar Augustus, and why am I harping on him right now? Well, the name really says it all. After Octavius, who was, that's his, that's his original birth name, became emperor of Rome after his uncle, Julius Caesar, was assassinated, he took upon himself a new name, which is actually not a name, but a title. Caesar, supreme emperor, and Augustus, a word that was very commonly known to the people of that day. It meant holy one or revered one. It was actually a word used for the Greek and Roman gods at the time. He was the first in the land to take this title and demand it from all the people. You will call me the Holy Supreme King. But unlike Caesar Augustus, Jesus' parents were not nobles from a powerful city. They were common, faithful Jewish people from unremarkable rural villages. And when Caesar Augustus gave the decree, they had to listen and they traveled to Bethlehem, their family's native city. When Caesar, but what Caesar Augustus didn't know was that he was just a pawn in God's design to have the true Messiah King be born in the town of Bethlehem. As it was prophesied 700 years uh, earlier in Micah chapter 5, verse 2. And we're told that while in Bethlehem, Mary gave birth. And she laid her newborn son in a manger because there was no place that would allow them stay indoors. Now, Bethlehem was the birthplace of King David. Thus, Jesus' lineage led his parents to go there to be registered. This was probably connected to taxes to Caesar Augustus. And the name of that city means house of bread. And again, little did they know that from this city would come an eternal, true king. From this house of bread would come the true bread of life. Yet our king's birth was anything but regal. Despite the real urgency of Mary's circumstances, she was given no room in any inn. This is unbelievable that a woman on the verge of birth would be sent outside to most likely stay where animals were kept. I think of my own children's birth, the fear I had, the concern for getting my wife the proper care and put in the hands of those who were best able to protect her and my sons. Yet no accommodations for Mary. I picture this, filth on the ground, Animals surrounding them. The screams from a scared, young, first-time mother. Foul animal smells. Humiliation. Panic. And the sense of failure from a first-time father. This church 
is the most likely scene of Jesus' birth. And at that very moment, 1,500 miles away in Rome, Caesar Augustus sat in a marble palace, surrounded by an army, sending fear into the land, demanding the title, Holy King from his subjects, while the true Holy King was wrapped in strips of cloth, the best his young mother could do for her new little baby boy, who she loved in a way that she had never loved before, and laid him in an animal feeding trough as they would then tend to her wounded body. This story, church, reminds me why I should not be God. Because if I were to plan the entrance of God into his creation, into human flesh, I would have done it very differently. Yet our God is born into extreme humility, such that no one on earth can say, Jesus is unapproachable. How can I get into his palace and lay my eyes on this newborn king? How can I get past this, such a great army of sheep? Who would let me approach this newborn king? It reminds me of the lyrics of the song, So bring him incense, gold, and myrrh. Come peasant or king to own him. Our God chose the lowest entrance into the world. Why? Because he came for the poor in spirit. Jesus the king has not come to rule on a throne of glory. Not just yet. He came to rule in the hearts of those who would hear of God's great grace. The great love for which God has for you. That our God would come to be a servant. To make for us a way to God so that we could be with God forever. So God came to us to be with us, Emmanuel. Who would choose such circumstances, church? What king would choose such circumstances? Our God did, and the gift was given. Our second scene is now is that, and, and these are shorter scenes, uh, is the angelic response to the birth. The angelic response to the birth. Our next scene begins with different responses to Jesus. Verse 8 says that in that area, shepherds were watching their sheep at night, and an angel appears. At first, it's just one named the angel of the Lord. This is the description. Angel of the Lord. It has been used before. In Hebrews, it was the angel of Yahweh. Yahweh, the covenantal name for our God. Here in our Luke passage in Greek, it's kurios. That's the Greek word for Lord. Three times Luke uses this word, kurios, to mean the same person, God. The second time he uses it, he says, it's the glory of the Lord. Now the shepherds see this messenger of God and they are filled with fear. But the angel delivers the Christmas message, right? He says in verse 10, fear not. 
Behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. This is good things. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. The angel shares good news. Good news is the word gospel. What does the angel do? He evangelizes the shepherds. There's no reason to fear today. In Bethlehem, a baby is born, and he will be your Savior, who is Christ the Lord, Christ the Curious. The third time the angel uses that word. What did the shepherds hear? That the promised Messiah promised all the way back in Genesis chapter 3 was just born. And they were near his birth in Bethlehem. And the Savior would be king, which is the word Christ refers to as the Lord. And the Lord is the same name that the angel of the messenger uh, claims to be of. He is a messenger of the Lord, who is the source of the shining glory. This is the Son of God. I understand this to be a clear declaration of Jesus' deity. And as if heaven couldn't hold itself back, church, a multitude of angels join in and they praise God together. Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. This is the Christmas story. God be glorified for peace has come to humanity, not to angels, to humanity. But why did the angel share the good news with shepherds of all people? This takes us into our final act, scene three, the human response to the birth. Now the angels finish their praising and they ascend back into heaven. Imagine the scene. The sky is filled with countless angels. It must have been so loud and so magical. And then in a second, the land goes back to being dark. And they could see the stars in the sky again. And the crickets begin chirping again. And they just look at each other and agree. Let's go. And they begin running like a group of excited schoolboys toward Bethlehem. We must understand how shepherds were viewed in that day. There was, uh, they were in a real sense social outcasts. They were unable to take the Sabbath because their sheep didn't take a Sabbath. They lived most of their lives outdoors, making them outsiders to the community. In other words, they would be known by some as irreligious, poor, dirty, and smelly loners. So on the one hand, God announces the birth of Christ first to the outcast. So no one can say that God doesn't care about the poor and the weak. But on the other hand, the work of a shepherd is held in high esteem among God's people in the story of redemption. Consider Adam, Abraham, Jacob, Moses, 
King David, to name just a few. And even Jesus himself claimed to be the great shepherd of the sheep. And the shepherds of this story found Jesus as foretold. And they shared with those there, who were at least Joseph and Mary, but maybe others. They shared what they had heard from the angel. And those there wondered at what the shepherds had told them. Maybe even one of the shepherds looked upon this young, newborn mother with tears in his eyes and sang, Mary, did you know that your baby boy? No, <laughs> probably not. But Mary, we're told, did treasure up these things, pondering them in his heart, or her heart, I should say. And the shepherds returned to work, glorifying God, praising him that they were gifted with hearing and seeing the Savior born. And we end the birth scene with wonder and pondering and treasuring and glorifying and praising. This is how the first people who knew of Jesus' birth responded. Which brings us to our closing. How will we respond to this same story? That which caused angels to sing glory to God and shepherds to immediately leave their sheep to see this baby with their own eyes. That which caused the new mother to heartfully ponder all of these things. And that which caused the people to listen and wander to shepherds' stories. The birth of the true, holy king in the most humbling, scandalizing circumstances. Born to bring us peace. And the total cost of that peace is truly appalling. His death. Jesus was born to bring peace as our Savior, Christ, and Lord. And the way to bring peace was on the cross. That little boy wrapped in strips of cloth grew up. And he was stripped of his clothes and beaten until his body bore strips of blood. That little boy who lay in a manger became a man, nailed to a cross, and hung until he died. His death was a ransom for the sins of man, guilty humans who owed a great debt to God our Creator, our guilt for our sins, and our rejection of the newborn King in our hearts. Brothers and sisters, do you see what God has done with wonder? Or do you remain as the city of Bethlehem with no room in your hearts for the story of Jesus? Do you see what God has done and praise our glorious God? For all of us who cling to Christ as our only hope in life and death, it is on those whose peace is found. God is pleased with those, as the angels say, those with faith. And the gift of God is the opportunity now. The gift of opportunity now. How will you respond? As Mary and the shepherds, will you glorify and praise God for what you have heard? 
O come, let us adore him. O come, let us adore him. Christ the King. Let's pray. Lord, we know the story well. We're reminded at least once a year that the eternal Son of God came and entered this world taking on flesh for the purpose of redeeming his people. It is the greatest story ever told, a story that no man would ever dare create. It is the truth of the eternal God. I pray that every one of us respond with glory to the King. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen.